Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the World of Aeora. I'm your host Eric aka Gingerino42. Thank you guys so much for joining me on today's episode as we dive into the history, lore, and game mechanics for Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2 as we gear up for the release of Avowed being developed over at Obsidian Entertainment. For those of you who are new to the show, this is a lore podcast focusing on the world of Aeora, which is the fantasy world for all three games that I just mentioned. And since we don't really know anything about Avowed right now, the aim of the show is to try to get everybody on even ground in terms of lore knowledge so that when the game releases, we can understand some of the little hints and cues and cultural nuances that we see in the game because Obsidian is really well known for writing great environments and great settings and great stories. And I think a well-rounded understanding of the world will make it a much deeper and more fulfilling experience. So on my last episode that I did, we talked about Andra's Mortar, and when we were doing Andra's Mortar, I ended up doing a little bit of research on a creature called Rathun, and I, I wondered to myself whether or not Rathun are classified as mage folk. Um, for those not familiar with what mage folk is, that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's a class of creature, or it's, it's not really a category, a class of creature, but they are different. They can be any type of creature, but there's something distinct about them. We'll get into that more. So today, we're going to be discussing mage-folk creatures. You speak of a worthy goal, but only a steadily built history can achieve it. So, mage-folk, what are they? Well, first off, uh, just so you know how to spell it, it's M-A-E-G-F-O-L-C. So I'm pretty sure that's pronounced mage-folk. Um, what mage-folk are, according to the Pillars of Eternity fandom article, is they are large humanoid beings in Aeora, unlike natural creatures or kith-created beings. Kith is a word that is used for kind of the um, these main civilizations in the world. So humans, dwarves, elves, godlike, Amauans, Orlans, the main races that you see in the game, those are kith creatures. So unlike creatures or kith-created beings, they are created by the gods themselves, typically to fulfill a purpose. Some mage folk are solely purpose-driven and act only in direct command of their god, while others act autonomously and with some form of sentience. That is the main difference between a mage folk creature and any other type of creature. Uh, every other type of creature is created you know, through natural means, whether it's procreation, or through mechanical means or scientific means. So, for example, if you took an empty set of armor and you attached a soul to it, which you can do in the world of Aeora, and then that armor became kind of sentient, you know, kind of be able to do things on its own, uh, that is a kith created, that is mechanically created. And mage folk are almost like the latter half of those two categories, but it's where the gods purposely make them. So when something is created specifically by the gods, I don't know how they create them, if they just will them to existence or if they form them from the ground themselves, but when the gods create a specific creature and that creature is used for a specific purpose, that creature is referred to as a mage folk. It's basically brought into existence out of nowhere. And they follow the purposes that the gods created them for uh, without wavering. Now, a lot of the information that we learn about mage folk, actually, uh, while it is on the fandom article, you can get from Josh Sawyer's Twitter post on, when was this? Okay, it was December 13th, 2020, titled Getting There. 
and he's doing some work on what looks like the pen and paper version for Pillars of Eternity. So for those of you who like D&D and like Aura, it looks like there's something coming down the road. Uh, he's still working on it. Josh Sawyer, for those who are not familiar, is the lead game director for Pillars of Eternity, and he was also heavily, heavily involved for Fallout New Vegas and Icewind Dale. So he's a long-standing name at Obsidian, and he's got a lot of great experience on wonderful classic RPGs. So he is the main designer, I think, for the Aeoran worlds. He's he's the go-to person for this stuff. Surprisingly, he's not working on Avowed, uh, but that's because I believe he's taking up new mantle over at Obsidian. He has different work to do now, and but he trusts the team that are working on it. So if he trusts them, then obviously they're doing a good job. But anyways, back to this Twitter post. Uh, he posted a tweet about mage folk, and then he subtitled it Divine Creations. And this is what Josh Sawyer has to say about mage folk. They are not a type of creature as much as a different category of being. While most creatures in Aeora are either natural or created, mage folk have the distinction of being created by the gods themselves, which we already discussed. Mage folk are always categorized as one of the six creature types, but have several properties connected to their special nature. So what Josh Sawyer means when he talks about the six creature types is he's talking about the different classifications of creatures that there are in the Aeoran bestiary. So you can have things like beasts, which would include lions and dragons and large beetles and deer and stuff like that. You can have spirits, which would include phantoms and ghosts and whatnot. Vessels, so anything of the undead sort. You can include um, primordials, such as oozes and delamgons. Uh, which is, I believe, a unique creature in Aeora. There's wilders, which are kind of like, they're, they're sentient creatures, but they're not quite up to the same civilized nature, I guess, as the kith creatures that you can play in the game. So these are this is what he means when he says different categories that you can have within the world. And mage folk are always classified as one of those categories. But the thing that makes them different is the fact that they are created by the gods themselves. And he gives five necessary traits about mage folk that make them mage folk. And those five categories are ageless, needless, unchanging, uh, God's will, and a gleaming tether. And so we're going to go through all five of those so we can determine whether or not something is a mage folk. Because I have a question at the end of this episode that I would like your guys' help with. So the first category is ageless. Mage folk retain their given form until they are destroyed. They do not grow up and they do not grow old. So they are not born as infants and grow to become something. They um, are not made as teenagers and then age into something else and then stay at that age. They are made and created at one age and that's just what they are. They're just a static, ageless thing. That is one of the qualities of a mage folk. For it to be a mage folk, it has to be ageless. It also has to be, second category, needless. Mage folk do not need to eat, drink, breathe, or perform other bodily functions common to living creatures. They have no need for sleep and cannot be compelled to sleep by magic or any other force. So mage folk are, they, they don't have to live like a biological creature or even a spiritual creature or anything like that. You know, vessels, the undead, zombies, and all that kind of stuff, they need to like at least kill creatures and consume their essence to be able to continue on quote unquote living or at least slow the decay that they're experiencing. But mage folk are needless. They don't need anything to continue to go on. They just are perpetually energized. They are just always constantly able to continue going. They don't need to sleep to regain energy. They don't need to eat to regain energy. They don't need to do any of those things. Now, I don't know if, for instance, a mage folk could be created where they still do eat purely because they want to. Maybe they enjoy it. I don't know. 
Uh, maybe that'll be revealed as we go on through this tweet, but they don't need to do any of that stuff. The next category is unchanging. Mage folk can acquire knowledge, but are fundamentally static beings. They do not grow or wane in power or capabilities without the use of things like magic items. So this is kind of like Ageless, where we discussed how a mage folk does not age, does not uh, get younger, get older in any sort of way. It just remains the same static age, and so they don't really change. But this takes it a step further that says that even though they can acquire knowledge, which um, you know, Josh Sawyer points out, they can acquire knowledge so they can learn new things, but they are fundamentally static beings. So their power level doesn't really grow or change unless they have gained some sort of new magic item. Now, I'm guessing that he includes the idea that mage folk can acquire knowledge, because if a mage folk was to acquire knowledge, it might change how they do something. So for instance, if a mage folk was serving one of the gods in their pursuits on Aora, they might discover a magic item or a piece of knowledge in the world that makes their job or their purpose a lot more effective. And then they would change what they're doing to be able to match that purpose. Right? So they might change in that sense where they update what they believe or what they will do in order to accomplish their tasks, but they're not changing in terms of power. They're not going to grow more powerful, and they're not going to grow to a new evolved level of consciousness or something. They're relatively unchanging, unlike us normal creatures where we like have different states of consciousness that we go through. We have epiphanies, and we have revelations, and our personalities change. Um, these creatures do not change in their personality. They are who they are, and they always will be who they are. And they might morph a little bit in what they know and how they do it, but they are essentially the same person, if you can call them a person, from beginning to end. Next category is God's will. Mage folk cannot knowingly act against the wishes of their creator. Note that mage folk will not recognize priests as official bearers or adjudicators of their creator's will and have no prohibitions against killing them. Additionally, they are immune to all charm and dominate magic. So this is a this is an important one because this is one of the this is one of the things about mage folk that make them what they are. I mean, obviously all five of these are, but this is one of the really standouting ones because a mage folk is not only just created as an ageless, needless, unchanging thing, is created with a purpose. A god creates mage folk. Mage folk don't come into existence from any other way. A god has to make them, and a god doesn't just make them for no reason. A god makes them for a specific purpose, even if it was like. You know, if Hylia just decided that she wanted to make a creature out of nothing that was ageless, needless, and unchanging just because she wanted to, just because she felt like it, there's still a purpose there. It's for her own personal glory or enjoyment, you know? And so a uh, mage folk is made with their this um, nature to follow and to fulfill their god's wishes. And despite the fact that they are tied to their god, they don't recognize other people as official bearers of their gods. They view them as different. I think that that's mainly included so that if you are a priest in the game that you can't just walk up to one of these mage folk and they will just never be hostile towards you. I think there's got to be a way that these creatures, these formidable creatures, are hostile against you if they are intending on being an enemy for you in the game, right? So there's that. But from a, like, a lore perspective as well, they probably are pre-programmed that way where they view themselves and their fellow mage folk as followers of this god but just because someone else bears a symbol doesn't necessarily mean anything right they don't have those kind of concepts of culture like we do so maybe that is part of it the last category that josh sawyer mentions in this tweet is gleaming tether all mage folk are connected to the power of their god through a metaphysical cord that links their souls to an audra pillar 
for those who are not familiar with what an Audra pillar is. Essentially, if you uh, look up Pillars of Eternity, you might see this kind of like green jade-like image. I actually use it as the logo for the podcast uh, for now, depending on when you're listening to this. And these um, kind of like jade-looking large crystalline structures, this is Audra. It's a unique resource in the world of Aora. And the very important thing about Audra, besides the fact that it's super pretty, is that it can conduct the energy of souls. Kind of like how copper wire conducts electricity through it, Audra can conduct soul energy. These mage folk are connected to a particular large pillar of Audra, and that is kind of like a metaphysical cord between them and their god. Uh, continuing back on to the tweet, this tether is invisible to any creature that is incapable of perceiving the in-between, and that is the in-between are capitals, it's a place. It's kind of like between life and death. It's like when you're transversing from life to death or from death to life, you're going through the in-between. It's, it's the really quick way of putting it. Those who can perceive the in-between, it appears as a gleaming tether that can extend hundreds of miles from the individual to the Audra pillar that is powering it. So it sounds to me like if you had a sense that was able to perceive the in-between, you know, like you have eyes that perceive uh, visual information, you have ears that perceive auditory information. If you had some sort of sense where you could perceive this spiritual information, if you will, you might see this glowing tether, this long uh, ethereal cord that goes from the corporeal body of a creature over to where an Audra pillar is. And apparently it can extend hundreds of miles. So that's what you would be perceiving. While Magefolk can travel any distance from the Audra Pillar, they feel discomfort and anxiety when they are more than 50 miles away. Now, Josh specifically says 50 miles away, and I mean, he's designing a tabletop role-playing game, so you kind of have to have specific numbers in a lot of, for a lot of reasons, and that maybe that's why. But yeah, once you start to get about 50 miles away from your Audra Pillar, if you're a Magefolk, you start becoming like just anxious and discomforted, and you, you might not know why, but you're just like, oh, you're just on edge all the time, you know, so... Now, they can't be far away from their Audra Pillar, and that's probably to keep them localized. Uh, well, or, you know, just because they get their purpose and their very existence from the god that they were um, made for, and their connection to that god is found in one location. I don't know, I don't think, that they would be able to change pillars, like perhaps if they are connected to one god and then they travel 50 miles uh, away and maybe they start tethering to another Audra Pillar. I don't know if that works that way or if it even can work that way. Interesting idea, though. Destroying the Audra Pillar to which Magefolk is tethered will kill the being in a matter of hours. They are immediately aware of what has occurred, but can do nothing to avoid their fate. So that's one tactic you can take if you're trying to take care of, of a Magefolk, if they're ever an enemy in the game, is if you can find the Audra Pillar that they're connected to, you destroy that Audra Pillar, then these creatures will die within a few hours. They're not going to die right away, so they still pose a pretty imminent threat to you, but I imagine that their power is significantly reduced at that moment. Though it is exceedingly rare that they choose to do so, a Magefolk's creator can use the Gleaming Tether to perceive anything that the Magefolk perceives. It can take direct control of it at any time and can communicate instantly with any or all of them. A creator may even sever a Gleaming Tether themselves to show their displeasure or a display of power. So it sounds like not only are these Magefolk like, out in the world doing the thing that they're programmed to do, that they have the purpose for, it, their creator god can just take over the body of one of these mage folk at any point in time can take over as many bodies as they want they can just cut the tether if they want and they can look through their eyes if they want it's almost like they are an extension of the god themselves but these creatures still have their own like individual perceptions and feelings and they maybe are a hive mind or are they are they actually individual that's a, that's a good question it doesn't say anything here about that and perhaps it's not necessary to be one or the other. Maybe a god would create a bunch of creatures and they do have their own individual personalities and thoughts, 
even though the god can take over them, but another god might make a bunch and just make them all one mind. They're all just different corporeal bodies for one consciousness. Who knows? It gets up to the god that makes them. So before we jump into some in-game examples of what mage folk are and what we see, I just want to give a little heads up that there is going to be a little spoilers in this next section for the White March DLCs of Pillars of Eternity 1. So if you're planning on playing through White March DLCs and you're like, I don't really want to have anything spoiled for me, consider skipping this next part. But for those of you who are wanting to listen on, we're going to continue on and we're going to talk about mage folk that we can see in the game. To avoid the spoilers, just go to the 26 minute and 30 second mark in this podcast. So in Pillars of Eternity 1 for the White March DLCs, eventually you will run into a creature called the Eyeless, right? So if you've played through the game, you know what I'm talking about. They're the first and pretty much only example of a creature in Aora that uh, we would that we know for sure is a mage folk. If anyone says to you, hey, tell me uh, what's an example of a mage folk in Aora, the first place your mind would probably go to is the Eyeless. Now, what the Eyeless are, and uh, I'm going to read it directly from the fandom article for Pillars of Eternity, are ancient mysterious mage folk more widely known in myth than fact. With their grotesque build and their crude yet functional limbs, they vaguely resemble constructs. Though their origin and purposes are unknown, they know neither hunger nor fatigue, making them singularly relentless foes. Now before I go into reading more off this article or anything else, I will just kind of give my own uh, personal description of them. Essentially what Eyeless are, are these very large kind of automaton looking creatures Uh, they look like they are just basically robots and they tower way way above you like they can easily be four times the size of an average man so they're like you know 20 25 feet tall and they're all they're made of steel or iron or something like these massive arms and these like horrific looking heads like they look like they have this gaping open mouth and they have no eyes because they're called the eyeless like it doesn't look like they have any eyes yet they're able to perceive around them and clearly you can tell what direction they would be quote-unquote looking they're they're creepy and they're they're unsettling looking machine robot looking things but they are not technically automatons Uh, there is a classification of creature in aora called vessel and i think that automatons fall in that category if i remember correctly now the eyeless are a vessel creature but they are a mage folk in the sense that they are created by one of the gods for a specific purpose and they are ageless you know, they are made exactly as they are, and they never grow old. I don't know if they rust. Maybe that. Um, they are needless. They don't need to sleep or eat or anything like that, and they are unchanging. They, they, they follow all of the five categories that we need to call something a mage folk. And so you run into these guys in the White March DLCs, and they are basically the significant enemy to run into. And this is where the spoiler part really comes in, is the history of the Eyeless. Because the Eyeless are really cool. You could probably do a whole episode on them on their own, uh, but... Uh, there's not a lot of raw lore that I have to go off of, and so it makes sense to also include them here. So this is some of the history for the Eyeless and what we know about them. Now, popularly in Aora, like if you were to talk to someone like, hey, tell me that story, tell me the stories, the myths about the Eyeless, you know, what are they? They would they would sit you down and be like, all right, here, this is what the Eyeless are, right? They're these like machine automata things that follow the goddess Andra right? They follow her will. Nobody knows what for, uh, but they, we think that because Andra is the goddess of forgetfulness and stuff like that, that they aim to hide things to keep them forgotten, you know? Like, that's what they would say to you. The popular opinion in Aora is that the Eyeless serve Andra by seeing older dangerous things and keeping them forgotten, right? Andra is one of the 11 gods of Aora, and she is the goddess of the moon, the ocean, and weirdly enough, forgetfulness. And so, 
the people think that the Eyeless serve her to keep things forgotten. There's a little bit more going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. The people of the White March, that's a location within Aora, uh, and it's the location for the DLCs. The people of the White March describe them as the boogeyman that stalk old roads and secluded places. Parents warn their children not to forget their chores, lest the Eyeless see them forgotten. In other words, the Eyeless will turn the kids into the forgotten. People will forget their child exists. The, the Eyeless will, will destroy you in the middle of the night and then make people forget that you ever were there. You know, why do we terrify our kids with these stories? I don't know. I, I'm about to become a father myself, uh, and depending on when you listen to this, I might already now be a father. And I'm like, why do we, why do, we tell these scary stories to our kids? I wonder if, if, if we just all just, if like groups of people got together and said, listen, all the kids in town are misbehaving. Can we all just agree to tell them that there's a, uh, a weird guy named Freddy that lives in their dreams that will like kill them or something if they don't behave? Because maybe then they'll listen to us and all the parents were just in desperation, like, yeah, let's do that. Let's scare our children into submission. <laughs> I don't know. It seems weird. But whatever, parents will warn their kids about the eyeless and how the eyeless will make them one of the, the forgotten. But the reality is, is that the eyeless were actually not created by Andra for Andra's purposes. Remember we said that um, these mage folk are created by a god for a god, and they just serve that god's will for their entire existence. The eyeless are actually created by Abidon. Abidon is the god of the forge you know he's the god of crafting and he's the god of smithing machines uh, skill trades uh, working hard and strength and aspiration all that kind of lovely stuff and i'm surprised that people didn't kind of clue in a long time ago that the eyeless are probably more associated with abidon because andra is all about forgetting things and the moon and the ocean and the Eyeless do not resemble that in any way, shape, or form. And the gods tend to be pretty egotistical. They like to make things in their own image. Uh, but, you know, who knows why the gods do what they do, right? That's probably what people say. But these Eyeless, looking like giant automatons, maybe people don't actually know that's what they look like. Maybe it's just like a myth. Like, no one actually knows what they look like, that they're made of metal. So there's that, I guess. The Eyeless, when you actually do get to see them in the game, it's very clear that they are tools of Abidin. They are these giant you know, robotic-like creatures that just do what the god wants. So reality is the Eyeless were made by Abidon. They were made as tools of Abidon. What was, how they were made was that they were forged at a place called the White Forge, which you can find in the White March DLC, and they were used to be his assistants in his work on the surface of Aeora. So this is back when the gods were a lot more involved on the surface of Aeora. I mean, they still are to an extent, but not as much as they were in the past. And Abidon made the Eyeless to essentially be extensions of himself to go and do the work out in the world. Because I'm, sh I'm not sure what the omniscience of the gods of Aeora are, if they can be aware of lots of things in different places. Uh, but when they were in their titanic forms walking on the surface of the planet, they could only work... In the places that they were and so they had to use extensions of themselves to be able to get their work done at multiple places at the same time and the eyeless were abidon's work for that so they essentially went out and made things and built things and just did his work out in the world well in the history that we learn about in the white march dlc when andra essentially launched an assault on some people in aora abidon felt that he had to impose and so he put himself in the path of destruction that Andra was forging, and in the process, he was killed. Now, a god doesn't die in the typical sense, and so eventually Abidon was able to rebuild his corporeal form. However, in that time, 
Andra, being the goddess of forgetfulness, made this mything god forget that he ever created the Eyeless, so that there would be one less thing that he could make that, to remember the manner of his death. So currently, Abidan doesn't remember his death, or if he does, he doesn't know how it happened. He doesn't know that Andra is responsible. And there's a little bit of a love story going back there, because apparently Andra totally had a thing for Abidan. I mean, he had, you know, he had that rugged blacksmithing look to him, I guess. You know, big beard, massive muscles, made cool machines, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It sounds like Andra's into that. She has, She's a, a weird-looking fish lady, but whatever. Um, so apparently she was totally in Abaddon, but then she accidentally kills him and then makes him forget about it. And now to stop him from ever knowing the truth about how he died, she takes away the eyeless from him, makes him forget that he even made them in the first place, that they're his, and then she keeps her distance from him. Because uh, apparently there is a tumultuous peace that exists among the gods that we're not really privy to. Uh, even as players of the game looking at the lore, we don't know a lot of the like hidden details of what's going on with them. We know they fight a lot because gods always fight. What's new with that? But we don't know the reasons why. There might be some stuff behind the scenes that we're not aware of. So there's a little bit of a sad love story in there. Uh, but anyways, point being, Abidin was killed by Andra by accident, and now the Eyeless serve her? Question mark? Or at least that's what everyone thinks. So that is the actual origin for the Eyeless. And she uses them pretty much exactly for what people myth, uh, mythically talk about with them. She, she adopted the Eyeless as her own, and she uses them as assistants using their single-minded nature and their terrifying power to erase things that should be forgotten. So that's what she uses them for. Unfortunately, as some of you might uh, be thinking right now, it's like, okay, but wait a second. The Eyeless are not made by Andra. So how can she control them, right? Because... Mage folk are created by gods and for gods. They were created by Abidin for Abidin's purposes, but now Abidin's forgotten that they exist, and now Andra's somehow taken over. How does that work? Well, it doesn't work as, as nice as Andra would like it, since she didn't make the mage folk. They are not connected to her in that kind of gleaming tether kind of way, and as a result, she has limited control over them. Which is kind of what leads to some of the major difficulties that we see in the White March DLCs. It's kind of what drives a lot of the narrative is that she doesn't have as much control as she would like. And that's why your character in the game has to intervene. Which, you know, that's how you make a good story. Because otherwise you'd just be like, yo, Andra, stop this. And she'd be like, okay, story over. Done, right? But, hey, you mortal, I, can, I cannot control these ancient machines. With your help, we can save the world. You know, that whole thing. So... There's kind of the main driving plot of the narrative, but you don't really find that out for a while, hence why I'm saying that there's a bit of spoilers in this part of the podcast. So that is the Eyeless. That's really the most that we know about the Eyeless. There's more that we can go into detail of like how freaky they look or some of the unique interactions that we have within the game, uh, but those are what the Eyeless are ontologically, if I use that word correctly. So now that's the end of the spoilery part. If you've skipped to this part and hoping to avoid spoilers, you can stop right here. No more spoilers. We're good now. We're going to get right back to the non-spoilery section of this game. I wanted to do an example of what a mage folk looked like. Now, coming back to the main topic of a mage folk, what is some things that we can know moving forward, especially as Avowed comes in? Well, there is an item that we can get in the Pillars of Eternity game, part two expansion for the White March, and on this item is a description of something about the mage folk. This item is called the mage folk skull, and the description for this item reveals some lore about mage folk themselves. Mage folk, or their remains, have been found on most of the known continents of Aeora. 
In the Living Lands, they are rumored to have built cities with great towers that reach beyond the clouds. This helm was recovered by an explorer who claimed to have plucked it from the burial chamber of a mage folk prince. Right there! We have a lot of lore and questions to ask right there. So mage folk or their remains, okay? So you can kill a mage folk. They don't, they don't just stay alive, right? Um, secondly, that they are found on most continents of Eora. So mage folk are actually very widespread across the planet. This makes sense because the gods can really go anywhere on the planet. So they can create mage folk anywhere they want for whatever purposes they want, right? That's kind of their thing. So they're very widespread. It's surprising to me that we don't see more of them. Or maybe we are seeing them and we're just not really aware that that's what they are. But here's the part that's interesting, especially for Avowed, is that in the Living Lands, they are rumored to have built cities with great towers that reach beyond the clouds. Okay, if if Avowed is being played in the Living Lands, which it's being rumored to, then that means there's a decent chance we might actually see mage folk or even this city. Right, so if we jump into Avowed and we see in the distance a far-off city, whether or not we can get to it, but we see a far-off city that just rises up into the clouds, you now know what that is. That is a mage folk city, very likely anyways, that just just goes right up. So now my question is, why would a mage folk society build cities, right? Like, what is the purpose of that? Like, to, like, to me, that screams culture and society. And to be fair, there's nothing in the description of a mage folk that says they can't have personality or form culture or form society, right? But I would imagine that there are certain gods that would want that in their mage folk, and there would be other gods that specifically don't want that. So that might give us some hints or some clues as to what god created these mage folk that built cities that have great towers that reach beyond the clouds. I don't know who I would say it is. It depends on the purpose. Are they building a city as a, as a monument to their god's power? Are they building a city as a monument to their own power? So, like, is it, like, a particularly egotistical god about, like, look what I can accomplish with my little doohickeys on the planet? And then I don't know who that would be. Building cities, you'd be tempted to say Abidin, but then again, Abidin has the Eyeless. But, of course, you can have more than one mage folk. Uh, could it be Wodica? She's really, really, really big on herself and loves to talk about herself, so I could see her building a city to herself using a bunch of mage folk. Uh, could it be Wal? Just build a city for no reason, just to confuse people? You know, thousands of years in the past, when no one was around, Wal's like, all right, I'm going to make these things, they're going to build me a city, and I'm going to take them out of the city, and it'll just confuse people for generations. I could see Wal doing that. Wal is a, a tricky son of a gun. He's my favorite for many reasons. I don't know which of the 11 gods it would be. And this helm, so this mage folk skull is a helm, it's something you can wear as a piece of armor, uh, was recovered by someone who had plucked it from the burial chamber of, an, of a mage folk prince. Now right there, I'm starting to wonder even more what god made these be A mage folk prince? So not only uh, do they have culture and society enough to create a city for whatever means, they also have a hierarchy? They have royalty? A mage folk prince? So this, like, this was the, it wouldn't be son or daughter because they, are, they don't procreate. It would just be the underling of the person who was in charge. How does that work? What god would have something like that? You know, it could be Bareth. Bareth does like her bureaucracy. And there's a hierarchies in there. Who knows? I'm getting a little way too sidetracked on this one random helmet that you can get from a bounty mission in the DLC for uh, Pillars of Eternity 1. So... Right there, we have some speculation and a little bit of hope that when Avowed releases, we'll actually get to see Mage Folk. I really, really want to experience a giant, mysterious, intriguing enemy like Mage Folk. I want them to be an enemy in Avowed because I think they have this air of mystery and otherworldliness about them that make them not only a formidable enemy to fight against or an ally with, possibly. I think it adds a lot of intrigue as to like, what's going on behind the scenes? 
what are some things that are going on here? So I really kind of, I hope, I hope so much that we're playing in the living lands because that would be cool and that we do run into mage folk. I want to get on to the question for today because I do have a question that I need help answering and I'm not really sure. And perhaps the answer is already out there and I'm going to eat humble pie later for this, but I'm going to put this on the episode anyways because you know, I don't know everything and I need people's help. There are people out there who know way more about this game than I do. I just happen to be talking about it. So anyone else, if you know more, help me out here. But the question I have which kind of came up for me when I did the last episode on Andra's Mortar, is the topic of Rathun. I don't know if Rathun would be classified as a mage folk or not. In the game, they're classified as wilders, but we already know that mage folk can be classified as one of the six categories of creature, but that they're also distinctly mage folk in the sense that they were created by the gods for the gods, and they follow the five categories that make them that. So let's talk about the Rathun quickly and go through those five categories to see whether or not we can kind of come to a conclusion on this episode. For those not familiar with the Rathun, Rathun are these like, they're essentially like these fire giants. You know, they look like these large humanoids that have fire burning inside of them. And they only live on a chain of islands known as Magrin's Teeth, which border Andra's Mortar. Andra's Mortar is a section of ocean that is completely bombarded by oceanic storms that are impassable. There's essentially a large, large portion of the world map of Aora that is unexplored and unknown because nobody can breach the intensity of these storms. And along the border of this part of the ocean are these chain of islands that are occupied by the Rathun. When you get into the lore for the Rathun, you learn that Andra made them. Andra took the clay that was there at these islands and she put them in the kiln essentially and created out of the clay these creatures that we see as Rathun. And so I, I'm I'm tempted to call them mage folk, except the game never refers to them as mage folk. At least I haven't been able to run into any encounters where they do or remember any instances where they are referred to as such. If anyone out there remembers a piece of dialogue where they do say that, please point it out to me. I did want to go find out. However, I, I also don't want to have to play 100 hours of game just to try to find out this one thing for this one episode. So if anyone can help me out there, let me know. But going on the fandom article for it, there is a section there that says the Rathun are no random creatures of magic, but a tool deliberately created by Magrin. So right there, it sounds like they should be considered mage folk. But let's go through the five categories just to be sure. One, are they ageless? To kind of come to a conclusion here, we don't have a for sure ironclad, yes, they are ageless or no, they are not. But what we can say is that they were made at a certain age. The idea is that Magran created them and whether or not she continues to create them or that Rathun create more Rathun in some sort of way, but they are created at a certain age. And it doesn't seem, based off the interactions you have with them, that there is like an elderly Rathun who walks around all hebled and fobbled and none of those are words, but whatever. Anyways, like we don't see any old Rathun walking around offering sage advice to the younger Rathun who just don't know what they're talking about and think they know everything, you know, that it doesn't seem to be anything like that. But, you know, we also don't have a lot of time to sit down and talk with them and talk about their society and what makes them tick, you know, so we can't say for sure, but it doesn't seem like they age. It might seem like some are a little more battle-worn, so some might have been on Aora longer, but that doesn't mean they are aging. Next thing is needless. Now, this is one I, I wish I could remember, but unfortunately, I, I just I can't remember all the interactions in the game. I don't recall seeing them ever have to sleep. I don't recall seeing them age. They will take prisoners 
uh, when they engage in battles with people that are on their islands, they will take prisoners and bring them back, but they bring them back as sacrifices to be made to the ancient in the volcano. So they don't actually take people and eat them or anything like that. So I don't think that they need anything to continue on. I think they just need that fire burning within them that comes from Magrin herself. Unchanging. And this is not in the sense of agelessness. This is that they don't change their persons. You know, they have this one society and they might change, update their beliefs. They might change the way they do things to achieve their ends, but they're not going to like, one of them isn't going to start off a splinter group of Rathun that like, we're going to champion a new life where we're pacifistic and all this. Like, you know, they're not going to do that. And you don't really see Rathun running around anywhere else in Aora doing their own thing that goes against the Rathun way. They really, they're localized to this one area and they tend to just do Rathun things, right? So we don't see any instances in the game or in the lore of them doing something other than what all Rathun do. So they're unchanging as far as we can tell. The next category is God's will. The Rathun appear, as far as we can tell, to be operating under Magrin's orders. They're doing just what she designed them to do, which we can guess or surmise is guard this border along Andra's mortar and just be a significant force in this area that deters people from coming this way. And they appear to be doing that. They live on these chain of islands, they don't seem to be leaving, and they basically kill anyone that comes too close. So they seem to be following her, their god's will. And the last category is Gleaming Tether. Now, we've never been able to perceive a Gleaming Tether in game, at least that I can remember, where we can see this little glowing cord that goes from them to some Audra pillar somewhere. One thing for sure that we can say is that they are localized to these one chain of islands. And while they can go more than 50 miles away, like they're not going to explode in a million pieces if they go too far away, Mage folk tend to want to stay in one spot because they're closer to that Audra pillar and then they, they don't feel anxiety, they don't feel discomfort. It's just that's where home is, right? That's what they're programmed to feel like. And these Rathun, they live on this these chain of islands. And so they stay in that localized area, which would imply that perhaps there's something holding them there, perhaps a gleaming tether to a nearby Audra source, right? And so those are the five categories that we have from Josh Sawyer on Twitter that make a mage folk what they are and it seems to me that the rathun are considered mage folk even though the game doesn't explicitly call them that at least to my knowledge or memory it's been fun to take this category of creature and to just go through this set of traits and be asking yourself are these mage folk i personally i think it's very clear rathun are mage folk they seem to be ageless needless unchanging they follow god's will and i would imagine they have a gleaming tether Anyways, so that's everything I wanted to discuss today. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on today's episode of The World of Era. Um, I'm going to put a call out out here for anyone listening to this right now. That's a weird statement to say on a podcast. Whatever. I want to put a call out right now. I would I want to invite people to send emails and questions in. You can reach me on Twitter at World of Aora or at Gingerino42. That's my personal one. You can email the show, worldofaora at gmail.com or my own content creation email, Gingerino42 at gmail.com. Uh, I'd like to do like kind of question answer stuff on the show a little more often. And I know I'm just one person, but I also have other people that I talk to where I can get some insight. I can do some research. It might lead to other episodes. Um, I just want to start promoting 
that community engagement. The podcast has come over just a year old now, and I'm wanting to move forward in different aspects of content creation to try to grow rather than just stay static. I want to do different things with this show and move on to some other stuff, whether that be live streaming, whether that be Let's Plays, whether that be more community engagement, whatever. I definitely want to do some interviews down the road, not just with developers at Obsidian or with other content creators, but by fans who love the lore for the show as well. So I invite anyone who has questions about Pillars of Eternity or about Avowed, whether it's about the lore or just video game-ish questions in general, please send them my way. I'd love to get people on and talk about it or even just respond personally in an email or even on the show and do a shout out. But anyways, enough on that. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of World of Era. I've been your host, Eric, aka Gingerino. I'll see you guys next time.